Hello and welcome. Our guest today is a lady who has a great way of dealing with a scenario that is very close to all of our hearts, and that's finance. She is a person who is warm, open, giving, very friendly, and her clients speak so highly of her that she's a person that after this podcast, you'll want to know. But I'll keep you in suspenders, or, or suspenses, I should say, for just a little bit longer until we come back after the intro. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Koch, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week, we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favorite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at The Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. Hello and welcome back to The Cashflow Show. My name's Clayton M. Koch and I am your host for today. And my guest is Leslie Reeves of SLR Wealth Services. Leslie, you can come back from behind the curtain and <laughs> introduce yourself. Go ahead. Thank you, Clayton. Yes, Leslie Reeves from SLR Wealth Services Limited. Thank you. You're most welcome. What I'm going to do with you today is just to ask you a few questions. I know that you're um, a person that I've tried, promised you many, many, many years ago that I was going to uh, have you on the show. And I'm really pleased that you've been, we've been able to do it. I think a lot of people don't understand how difficult it is to line up diaries in order to get people to be in a position to actually come on and have a chat. And it's really difficult. Um, I feel that I need to be like one of those Hollywood agents to my people talk to your people and it's, it's something like that. I'm really pleased to have you on and we're going to spend today finding a little bit more about you, about what you do and about SLR Wealth Services and how your business has grown over this period of time. Now, Leslie, you need to tell me what's your role in SLR Wealth Services? Uh, well, I'm founder and director, so I formed the business about 12 years ago. Excellent. And... Is this your first business? Yes, it is. Yes. But not my first experience in financial services. So it's, it's not your first experience in financial services. What did you do before that? Is it something you can talk about what you did before you did SLR? Yes, certainly. Um, I've worked in banking since I left school in various roles. But my, my last role before I started SLR Wealth Services was as a financial advisor. 12 years of that with the Halifax and four years of those 12 years, I was a senior advisor, which meant I trained other advisors, which I really enjoyed. And, um, and then I left the Halifax and became what they call a multi-tied financial advisor, uh, which gave me a lot more options to be able to advise my clients. Interesting. That's very interesting. Now, tell me, what made you choose finance? Were you, were you a money lender or something at school? Or what made you choose finance? Well, luckily for me, at the time I left school, it was very, very easy to get a job in a bank. My aspiration was actually to be an actress. I wanted to be on the stage. Wow, this is interesting. Yeah. And I have been at stage school dancing and acting since I was three. But I wasn't able to go to any of the academies. My parents weren't able to afford that. So I was told by my family just to go and get work in a bank. 
So I looked at the bank and the one that I chose, which was at the time the Midland Bank, now HSBC, I chose the Midland Bank because it had an amateur dramatics society. Uh. <laughs> so that's the reason I joined. And as soon as I joined, I joined their amateur dramatics society and was in about three, four of their plays. Wow, that's interesting. Well, as I said, I've known you for quite a while and I didn't know no, that at all. Because when I was a kid and I was growing up, my parents, obviously, we come from a Jamaican family and in the Caribbean at that time, and this is going back a few years, it was working in a, a bank was seen as a, a thing, a serious thing. You know, it wasn't just standing by the, the cash machines and telling people how to use them. It, so I'm not, not dissing anybody from the bank, but that's what's happening now. But the reality of it was, was that you were in a position that when you worked in the bank, maybe they thought that you were closer to the money. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever it was, it was like, you must go and get a job in a bank. You must go and get a job in a bank. And that was the kind of sort of mantra that you had. So anybody that worked in the bank, they'd done well. So, you know, the fact that you made that choice, and obviously, as I said, your, your parents decided that that was a, a good idea. I'm glad that I wasn't only the only person being given that advice as you as well. Okay, so you then sort of worked within those particular areas for quite some time. Yeah. Did you formulate the idea that you wanted to have your business or was that some way away? No, I had never thought to have my own business. I had several friends and contacts that actually had their own financial services business who, who did offer me jobs along the line when I was a financial advisor at the Halifax, but uh, it was just so easy at, at the Halifax. Had clients walking through the door. So I declined that, but then things started to happen at the Halifax that I wasn't too comfortable with. So I turned to one of my friends who had their own financial services business and asked if he did have vacancies, which he did have. So I left the Halifax after 20 years. And how was that feel when you sort of, you know, took your cardboard box and <laughs> and your and your and your little mascot and your teddy bear off your desk and your pencil sharpener? How did that feel? It was very scary, but I trusted him to support me, which he did, and it was quite it was empowering. I actually felt empowered, even though I loved the Halifax. I'm very very grateful for the for the opportunity it gave me, for the grounding, for the for the education and experience that it gave me during those times. But I felt working for a big corporation, you're very restricted. So making that decision actually empowered me to, and it propelled me to go forward. And, and even at that time, I wasn't thinking of having my own business. I was going to go and work in his business, my friends. But it just, I just evolved into and then decided to, to strike out on my own. So do you feel empowerment is a major driving force for a lot of entrepreneurs? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's behind everything. You have to have belief in yourself that what you're doing is for the right reasons and that gives you empowerment as well. It, even though it's not, a, it's not always easy, it's a struggle and it can be extremely scary at times, but if you believe that what you're doing is right and that you can do it and you know your worth you know your experiences, your knowledge, you believe in everything in that way. Do you feel that as a woman in financial services, because really up until recently, that's been a heavily male-dominated area. 
How was that reflected on you and your business, do you feel? Yes, I agree. And it still is. I, I go to a lot of presentations where actually I'm the only woman, <laughs> even now. But I think it's, well, for me personally, I, I feel, and the, the clients that I have, I think sometimes they're more comfortable with a woman's approach because it can be different to a man's approach. It's not it's not better or it's not right or wrong. It's just different. And when people are talking about their finances, which is as personal to them as their health, then sometimes a, a woman's approach, it can, can make them feel more comfortable. I would agree with that 100%. I feel in terms of what we do, in terms of late payment, debt recovery, and that kind of management, I notice that when we do stuff, women's approach is different. A woman's approach is completely different to a man's approach. And as you said, there's no good or bad in that. But I would deal with each person separately in terms of that and in terms of that approach. So as far as I'm concerned, you have to have that balance there. Yes, that's right, you do. But I work very, very closely with regulated financial advisors because I now have, are at a stage where I'm no longer regulated through choice. But it's very important that my clients still have regulated advice. And I work very closely with, with a lot of male, with a lot of men, financial advisors. So I will assess the clients and the clients, I, I get to know them very well to decide you know, which one they would be more comfortable with or I give them the choice. I think that's important. And I think that it's very difficult to be in a situation or a scenario where it is really horses for courses. I mean, I think that to a certain extent, I've always felt and I've always found that, as I said, men and women have different approaches, especially when it comes to dealing with money, especially when it comes to dealing with these scenarios in relation to finance. And yes, I, I, I do think it's a completely different approach. And I think having the right person for the right role or the right situation makes a hell of a lot of difference. So you've started your business then. And so let's, we're, we're going back in time a little bit in the time machine and you've started your business. So how could you then in your mind conceive, you're used to working for the Halifax, everything's going swimmingly. Halifax was an extremely strong position. And obviously you had people going through the door. You've got Howard, Howard doing the advertising. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, could, you couldn't go wrong. But so now you're out on your own. What do you then decide to do in terms of getting clients? How do you, in your own mind, start your business up from the ground up, which is what you're doing? Did you have a moment where you thought to yourself, my God, I need to get some people in? Of course, yes, I did. Fortunately, though, my friend had a bank of clients because he would buy clients from other financial services businesses that had closed for one reason or the other. So he had quite a few clients already that he didn't have enough advisors to service them. Excellent. So I st still where I was able to get some clients. I also had formed very strong relationships with a lot of clients while I was at the Halifax over the 12 years that I was an advisor. So they were aware that I had left the Halifax. And over once my time had passed where I was not allowed to speak to them, if they were if they got in contact with me, then um I continued with those with those relationships. But mostly I think it was I knew I had to get myself out and do this thing called networking. 
<laughs> which was a very new concept at the time and terrifying. <laughs> Networking comes up a lot. It comes up a lot in all of these podcasts that we do. And it is very interesting because I do feel that to a certain extent, networking, they say that sort of small businesses and SMEs are the lifeblood of business in the UK. But I think networking is where you get the oxygen to grow your business. I've got very mixed thoughts about it. I love networking. And when it works, it works incredibly well. But I think we went through a stage over the last few years where there were a lot of people and a lot of people who set up networking events that really didn't think it through. <laughs> yes, I've been to a few of those. Yes, <laughs> yeah, we've all been to a few of those where they, if you were a teacher and they were a student, you would put on the, in red pen, could do better. <laughs> um, and I, it, it's because people realised you can make money out of, of certain people's dreams, if you want, for whatever. Because you you had two schools of thought. There were people who went along. And depending on the service or the product you were selling, you could get quite a few people in. But I think there were people who then went along, didn't really have a pitch, didn't really have approach, weren't very disciplined, and then wondered why they didn't get anywhere. Mm, yes, that's right, yeah. I think you need to try different networking meetings to find the one that's comfortable for you and and also for your profession i think they don't doesn't always suit but the main the main thing about networking the thing for me about networking is i have the mindset that i'm going to learn something and i'm going to meet new people that i can have relationships with on a business level regardless of whether that means business for me or not is is irrelevant it's who am i going to meet and what can I learn from them? Because when you've got your own business, you, you constantly need support and tips and hearing how other people manage. And also to feel you're not alone. I think you're absolutely right. I think the mistake that a lot of people make is that they go along to a networking event and they instantly expect business. And that seems to have transferred itself onto LinkedIn. I've said this a couple of episodes in. What happens is that you get a situation where what people do is that they either turn up to a networking event and especially expect to walk away with £10,000 worth of business. You know, if you do, poor, you've done well. <laughs> I've never been able to do that. And I, and depending on the, your product or service. Yeah, I've never tried. <laughs> especially in my profession anyway, you need to get to know somebody to trust them before you can even consider looking at doing any type of investment or protection or lending or anything. So to me, it's just about going and and seeing, you know, who I'm going to meet and therefore, and have fun. Networking is fun. It can be fun. I agree with that. And I think that to be totally honest, people don't make that distinction that you are there to meet people, to build relationships. Mm. And a lot of people don't want to build relationships. What they want to do is to come along meet somebody, get a load of business, and then keep going back to the well with their bucket mm-hmm. and, uh, and expecting to get, you know, Evian or, 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 or Perrier every time that they go because that's what they expect when in reality, if you build those relationships and you stick around, Mm, A lot of people are not around. No, that's right. Yeah, You you know, you see them today and then they may have a business and you say, oh, how are you doing? Oh, I don't do that anymore. 
okay, so what is it that you do now? Mm. As I always say, if you, you can go back to Marks and Spencer's, touch wood, for the most part, because you know that they'll be selling sandwiches, they'll be selling knickers, they'll be selling whatever it is that they're selling, but they will, they'll be there. You know, it, because you that's the relationship you have with them. Whereas uh, I always wonder about these these companies that set up online, because I think that to a certain extent, they've got all your data. And when they suddenly send you an email, we're closing down. Thinking, hold on, you've got all my data. I've got to get it all back. Because we our relationship, was, as we've had, is a cloud-based relationship. And the fact is, the, when you meet people, they're looking at you and saying, oh, Leslie, you know, she's a great person to work with. She's fantastic, blah, blah. I can recommend her. That's the relationship that you want with people. And that's the relationship that you want to get going forward. Yeah. And and you, you don't get that with just one or two meetings. So people will only refer you on or suggest someone they they're close to or you know that they know well or a business if they believe that you're going to be doing the right job for someone and you can't in they need to take time to get to know you for that yes I think so I think I think that too many people make their mistake by expecting that yes they want to know you but the fact is is that you can't build that relationship instantly you can't build it up over overnight you know it does take that time I suppose I wanted to ask as well, I think for me, you set up your business and what do you feel has been the biggest challenge? I think probably looking back, the biggest challenge has been is to find the right investments for people. There are so many investments out there that that fail, but people are always looking for ways to increase their income, ways to grow their capital. And in any industry, any business can fail through no fault of its own. Maybe it's mismanagement. So it's it's making sure that the products and the people and the investments that I can introduce my clients to, because I'm not allowed to give advice, but I can show them, have are established, are um, have got great credentials. There's no bad history with the people running the business. That they are expertise in their field um, and that most important of all security is in place so it is finding the right sort of investments for people that I trust will be suitable for them even though as I said I can't give advice but they can then decide whether they think that's suitable or not so I only work with a, a few investments I would say that was the biggest challenge is trying to find something that's going to fit people's needs for increasing income because they're not getting any interest in the bank. They maybe uh, are overexposed in the property arena. They've got too much money tied up in property. So they need, they're looking for something else. That, that I would say is the biggest challenge for me. So what would you say that SLR really specialises in in terms of investments? I work mainly with property-related investments, but that doesn't necessarily mean people buying property. It could be investments that's secured on a property. And, and personally, I like to work in that area because people understand property, will more understand the risks associated with a property and, and feel they have more control over it as opposed to maybe a stock market investment where they've got no control they, they don't know who the fund manager is. They don't know what the charges are. I prefer to work with property-related investments for uh, to show my clients, but it wouldn't be limited to that. I also 
refer my clients on to specialists in other areas of investments as well that maybe I myself don't have the expertise in. So for me, it is finding the right people to refer my clients to, the right investments for them to consider. That seems, in a, to a certain extent, it seems abstract. But sort of, can you give us an example without necessarily having to name a particular company or brand. So if somebody came to you and they said, Leslie, you know, feeling a bit flush, <laughs> got, <laughs> got some cash, it's burning a hole in my pocket. Oh, I fancy some of this investment luck. What would you do then? Okay. Firstly, I would find out what their financial situation is at that moment in time, because a lot of the investments I work with are not suitable for everyone, given their their situation. So again, it's to, to limit risk. So I'd find out their experience, their budget affordability and what what they have already in a portfolio so that they're not overexposed in any particular area but yes they they ticked all those boxes and there was some some they could be looking at doing some investments i would firstly look at our isa range and again people are not aware that there are three types of isas you've got your cash isa your stocks and share isa which everyone knows about but then there's the third isa the innovative finance isa Oh, that's a, that sounds like the super ISA. It is, it's the super ISA. The government and the Financial Conduct Authority have, have formed this ISA because the other ISAs necessarily are not performing as such or people shouldn't have all their money just solely overexposed on the stock market. So the Innovative Finance ISA is the one that I can work with because it's it's um, not a regulated product. I don't need to give advice on it, although I always strongly recommend my clients do take advice uh, before they invest any money at all. So the Innovative Finance ISA generally is like crowdfunding. So it's a, it is a finance ISA. It's money is raised for finance. I just work with a couple. They have short term, so two years or three years fixed. Again, clients are not tying their money up for a long spate of time. And the rates of interest I'm currently working with are between 7 and 9% per annum fixed with capital secured on an asset so the clients have their original investment money secured via uh, an asset backed via a legal route or a trustee excellent so i mean those figures seem very attractive yeah in reality how successful are they they're very successful so far it's quite new the the ifi sir um, has not been around for very long however the products that i'm dealing with I've been working with outside of the ISA as well. They've just been what's known as been ISA wrapped because they qualify as an innovative finance ISA. So before they were allowed to be ISAs, I've been working with them for seven or eight years. My clients have been enjoying very high returns with money paid on time and or on a regular basis if they have the income. So, yeah, so it's good that they've been ISA wrapped now because then the income is and the growth is uh, free of tax. Excellent. Well, all that talk of finance and ISAs has led me to come to the point at which I need to remember to say a brief word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back after this message. Bad debtors can rob you of your time and money. They can destroy your whole business within weeks. Archaic debt collection agencies and expensive legal fees will drain your cash flow. But in one day, the PRMS Business Debt Prevention Course will teach you how to create late payment management procedures, invoice for immediate settlement, and eradicate existing debt. You'll study real-life examples to drag your business out of the red. 
visit www.prmsltd.co.uk or call 0203-865-7138 to register now before bad debtors make your business another failed statistic. Hello and welcome back to the Cashflow Show with our guest today, um, Leslie Reeves of SLR Wealth Services. Before the break, Leslie was telling us about the Super ISA. Was it the IF? What it is? It? Yes, the, it's the Innovative Finance ISA. That's it. The oh, inno- the IF ISA. The IF ISA. So remember that, um, my boys and girls, when you go out there onto the mean streets, you can obviously get some of that IF ISA action and obviously improve your wealth. So don't say we don't give you anything for free. <laughs> anyway. Leslie, you've been kind enough to tell us about your background and how you got into finance and how you started your business. And we got a hint of your aspirations uh, as far as being a, an actor, a stroke dancer. So let's find out a little bit more about you as well. So every cash flow guest gets a set of questions which they don't always get answered, but obviously at the same time, there are some key ones that remain all throughout the process. Now, the, one of the first ones is, what is your favourite film and why? My favourite film has to be The Sound of Music. Okay, right. Every time that comes on, we'll watch it because I just absolutely love it because of the, the singing and the dancing aspect of it. I think it's funny. It's a wonderful story. It's based on fact. It's got everything in it that I would want to sit and watch. And I just love it. Well, you do get enough opportunities to see it because it does come on very regularly. It does, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I have recorded it. (laughs) I can watch it when I want. (laughs) Just in case. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, so let's move on to your favourite book. I don't actually have a favourite book as such. I read a lot. I do read a lot. It's it's one of my downtime hobbies. And it helps me to relax and just to uh, clear my mind. So, um, And the, the books that I'd like to read are historic, historic books, Tudor, Tudor Times and previous to Tudor Times. So anything, again, that's based on fact but in a novel sense or okay. biographies about any of the kings and queens are very much into the, into the monarchy up to that time. So that's my favourite books. Okay, that's excellent. And... Your favourite album or single or record or CD or whatever you want to call it, or whatever the streaming, download, whatever you want to call it today. What, what's what's your favourite? Well, my, my favourite song of all time, I have many, but my, my absolute favourite, and this is, again, like Sound of Music, this is one that I could listen to continuously, is Scarborough Fair by Simon and Garfunkel. Ah, okay. You never heard of it, have you? Of I, have. <laughs> I can see I can see if you want. I'm going to Remember me too. Yes, I'm not going to subject you to my thing. <laughs> and I think probably one of the reasons I think I like it is because it's got an old sound to it. So it's again that the history fascinates me of Tudor times and before. And the Scarborough Fair has a very old sound to it but it just always gives me goosebumps whenever I hear it well the background is is that this is something that I'm I'm a bit of a music geek and it creeps out every so often so basically um Paul Simon had that's a traditional tune so that's why it sounds so old so it's a traditional old folk tune which has been adapted but there is a I think a canticle or something which is added onto it so therefore what makes the words uh, or the um, verses longer 
and uh, and some additional stuff that's been added to it. Oh, but yeah, yeah, so it's a, it's an old folk song because Paul Simon in the early 60s, before he joined forces again with Art Garfunkel, was a folk singer and he came to London and travelled around the UK as a solo artist. And that was one of the tunes that he recorded at that particular time. Wow. And so the song that you hear, for example, there's a Simon and Garfunkel song called Homeward Bound. Yes, yes. That was written while he was in the UK getting ready to go back to the US. Oh. So some music trivia that yes. you just thrown in for free. <laughs> great. I knew there was a reason. <laughs> and anything by Fleetwood Mac. I'm, I'm a great Fleetwood Mac. Okay. Two classic, uh, two classic acts there, two classic rock acts. That's excellent. So I always ask this question as well. What is your advice to anyone starting in business? I think it would be don't ever give up. No matter what, Obstacles are thrown at you no matter no matter you know what the difficulties are. You will always find a solution as long as you're talking to the right people. Only surround yourself with positive people. Don't, if you can possibly help it, engage with any negativity and believe in what you do. Believe believe a hundred percent in in what you're trying to achieve. That's some great advice because I do believe that you they, you know, they say that you are the sum of the five people that you most spend time with. And, you know, there is some truth in that. And in fact, there's, there's a lot of truth in it. There are a lot of people that are involved in business that I wonder if they're involved in business because it has now become very fashionable to have your business. Nobody comes along and says, yeah, I was working at the gas ball for 25 years. That, you know, you can't make that sound sexy. You, you know, it, it's it's not. And I think that a lot of people, everybody's got a startup, everybody's got a business, but not everybody has the mindset for it. And it does take a lot of commitment because there are a lot of downsides to running your own business. It's not all every day where I'm going to a high powered meeting and, you know, we're drinking champagne and whatever. It's It's changed. I went to a Microsoft event this week and they had Joe Malone, the, the perfume lady. I, I don't really know that much about her, but she was talking about her story and her journey, you know, of sort of coming up with the, the original Joe Malone type fragrances, literally in a bedsit type room and, you know, literally making the bottles and sticking paper, paper, you know, paper labels on them and, you know, being bought up by Estee Lauder and then finding, finding herself in a situation where she then starts again in a new business and makes worse mistakes than she started off in the first business. And it was it was quite an interesting because she had had cancer and, you know, she had all these other negative things going on. And she sort of, you know, was really at rock bottom and then managed to work her way up. And as you said, I agree with you about never giving up, but I also think as well, that sometimes you've got to be sensible and to know when to throw in the towel. You have. I, I do agree with that, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to stop. What it means is that you change direction. Correct. And that you learn, you take all the positives out of those difficult situations that have stopped you in your tracks and you carry on with more knowledge and more confidence and you are prepared to learn 
from other people as well. So always have someone close to you that can help mentor you, um, regardless of whether they know they are or not. <laughs> Good point. Just Good take point. everything. But yes, uh, that, that's right. Yes, you, you, you need to know when to change direction. I, I think so. I think that they, uh, the, the term is pivoting. Um, <laughs> it's a posh, posh term. But you've got to know when, you, you know, it's like you're going down a country lane and you're thinking, this doesn't look right. You've got to know when to either to stop and ask somebody or just to turn the car around. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I can see that. And I think the mentor thing is good. I, I, I go to some of these events and people f see somebody famous on this stage and you always get one idiot who I always want to sort of give a clip around the ear. Mo who sits there and goes, can you mentor me, please? <laughs> um, I, went, I was at a, an event and Levi Roots was there, the guy from the reggae, reggae sauce, Dragon's Den thing. And some woman pipes up, oh, can you mentor me? And I'm thinking, the guy's there, he's yeah. front in a company which he's trying to grow. Has he really got time to mentor you amongst them hundreds of thousands of people who want that mentorship? You know learn from it don't necessarily think that somebody's got to mentor you sometimes i can hear a podcast that somebody else has done and that really inspires me mm -hmm. i mean i saw i read one or heard one the other day about this chap and he basically says he doesn't take non-transactional meetings so if we're not meeting about business we're not meeting and you know we've all had those endless coffee meetings that have got nowhere I do see his point because you can get drawn into that and you have to be smart enough to know the difference as to what's going on and, you know, what, what it is about your business that really is going to help drive it forward. In terms of driving things forward, where do you see SLR Wealth Services in the future? Um, it, it's difficult, really, because I'm, I'm not necessarily growing the business with regards to taking on new consultants where I see my business maybe would be with introducers so people getting to know my business and introducing clients to me I don't think I'll ever stop doing what I'm doing I have no plans to retire I don't ever want to stop doing what I'm doing I have investments the same as along with my clients so they're going to be a continued interest for me anyway I have no great aspirations for it to be huge or to grow but I, I just want my clients to be happy, to be, have their finances where they should be. And just for my reputation, I think, to be to continue. Okay. Because to me, reputation is everything. And I think what I agree with is that some many people spend a lot of time thinking about, I need to be bigger and I need to be, you know, making more money, I need to be doing all of this. And I'm thinking, that's great. But the fact is, I think that too many people start business with the intention of wanting to take over the world, you know, as opposed to, yeah, it fills me with dread. I just couldn't do it because I just don't want to deal with the world's problems <laughs> because that's what's going to come next. But I think that your approach is right insofar as thinking that, guess what? This is important to me. I want to share that with other people and I want to get the best quality people working with me and provide the best value and the best service. That's absolutely right. Yes, I do. And the relationships that I have with my business associates 
have a long standing and the, the trust it works both ways so i i trust them when i'm referring my clients to them i trust they'll look after them and they trust that the clients i'm referring to them are are suitable and right for um for their business too so yeah so what advice then in terms of you've managed to grow a business and bring a business up and bring it into the world what advice do you have for other women wanting to start their own businesses don't be afraid it's it's not a man's world anymore it is an equal world now just repeating what i said before as long as you know what it is that you that you want to share with the world and what you want how you want to help people as long as you believe that's right then gender doesn't really come into it it is an equal world and i and i also believe that both men and women now from my experience of networking groups that i go to now where it's mixed it has a, a really fine balance it's a really nice balance whereas when i first started networking it was quite male dominated and i wasn't that comfortable but now there are more more women coming into networking and starting up their own businesses I don't believe that men are threatened by that. I don't I don't feel that in any way. I think they embrace it and are pleased to have women uh, be independent and have their own businesses. So I would say to any woman starting her own businesses don't be afraid, just enjoy the ride. Excellent. I think that's great advice. So now we're coming towards the end of our podcast here. I always say where can people find you? Where can people get in contact? Sometimes people listen to stuff like this and they're thinking, okay, this is an interesting person. You know, who is this? Um, what do they do? How can I get in contact with them? How can I then avail myself of their services and open up a dialogue going forward? So where do people find you? Well, they can Google SLR Wealth Services and they'll find my website. There's quite a bit of information on my website. There's no investment products specific on my website because compliantly I'm not allowed to. But also, I don't think it would be right to show investments because they're not all suitable for, for everyone. People need to have a conversation with me to see if, if that's the right journey for them. So my website, or I am on LinkedIn as well. I'm also on Facebook. My business is on Facebook. I have a personal Facebook page as well, which I share stuff. I hold seminars every three months. Yes, tell me more about that before we, we, we end up um, drifting into the sunset. Tell me more <laughs> about the, um, um, the seminars, because I've been on a couple, but obviously I want to hear it from you as to what you offer for people who do attend. Okay, well, the reason I hold the seminars, and I've been holding them for four years now, every three months. So where are they held? That they're held at the Holiday Inn at Westfield Stratford City. They're in the evening, and they consist of an hour's informal networking or just have a chat if you're not into networking but you just want to come and meet a few people it's that it doesn't have to call it networking that's over a lovely buffet foods provided and then we have a guest speaker and then again another you know sort of bit of networking or informal chat after but the reason I do it is because the product providers and my business associates that I work with generally people wouldn't know about so they will only accept business via introduction. Of course. Through either myself, a consultant like myself who's had financial services background, or from independent financial advisors. 
So they do not advertise, but they are looking for investors. So I ask them to come and speak at my seminars so that my uh, anybody interested can be in an environment where they can listen to them, ask them questions without feeling in any way obligated that they need to invest. Mm. They can just get some information from them. So that's the reason why I hold these seminars. It's to educate and to give information about various aspects of investing, um, but also other areas such as trading. I've had a lady speaker who, who was a trader. Very interesting. My next seminar. Is, is that, I mean, sorry to interrupt you there, but when you say trading, was that foreign exchange trading? What time? It, any trading. Okay. Uh, she trades anything. <laughs> okay, cool. Anything that's got a, a buy price or a sell price <laughs> as well. But it's really, again, it's just introduced people. It's not to say people should be trading, but they can get more information about it so that they can then decide whether it's something they want to take forward. And my next seminar is um, a lady I've known for over 20 years who is an expert in equity release. And again, there's a lot of, there's a lot of myths and bad press about equity release. And people that was many years ago, it has been heavily regulated now. Anybody giving advice on it has to pass certain qualifications. So it's much, much safer. And I believe people need to know about the option so that they can, uh, it can help them maybe later in life if that's what's needed without them feeling that they're going to lose their home. So she's coming to give a talk on that. Again, it's just to educate and give information. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Well, Leslie Reeves of SLR Wealth Services, thank you ever so much for coming on to the Cashflow Show. And thank you also for sharing your story with us. Clayton, thank you so much for inviting me and for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm Clayton M. Coke, and you've been listening to The Cashflow Show with Leslie Reeves of SLR Wealth Services. We hope to catch you at the next episode. Take care and look after yourself. Goodbye. <laughs>